Well, we've been in church, we've been uh, cycling through um, uh, one of the prophets in the Old Testament called Micah. Micah lived around 700 years before Jesus, and he was living in a really tricky moment. He was uh, a prophet, he was reminding the people of God that they needed to be what they actually were, that they needed to act justly, that they needed to act with justice, because what had happened is that allowed themselves effectively just to live for themselves. And uh, we're, this is our fourth, um, our fourth look at this message that Micah gave 700 years before. It's kind of interesting because in one level, you might think, well, what has, any, what has anybody who lived around 2,700 years ago, what earth that they have that's of any relevance to us in 2014? But the remarkable thing is, the, the more you look at this, the more you realize, actually, these words could have been written yesterday, and they would still make sense. And we spent a couple of weeks looking at... Uh, in a sense, the wake-up call, and Micah, like many of the prophets, what he does, he sort of gets hold of the people and slaps them around the face, really, and uses really strong language and really strong image to say, folks, be careful. And then last week, uh, in our two services, in our first service, in our all-age service, we looked at the, well, what does God promise? Well, one of the things that God promises is a better future. We looked at this idea that what God wanted was these people the people of God, to live in the light of the fact that he's promised something much better. And today, uh, I want to spend just a little time, not massively long, but just look at this other promise. What's the other promise God says? The other promise is, I'll give you a better leader. I'll give you a better leader. So if you have a Bible or you want to follow with me, then we're in Micah, the book of Micah, which uh, is Old Testament, um, just before the end of the Old Testament, really, not far off. And we're going to return to chapter 5 and just the first few verses there. So here we go. Um, just to put one more last comment before I get going. Um, the, the, the context is that uh, Micah has said, because effectively you have ill-used your land, you have used your land in a way that the poor have just got poorer and uh, those on the margins have just been squeezed out, Actually, what will happen to you is an enemy will come and will take you into exile and you will lose the very blessing that you were given because you've misused it. And it's in that context that this is written. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They'll strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. In other words, the enemy will come and they will attack Israel's king and he will be he will be sort of defeated. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned till the time that she who's in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. But this ruler, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they'll live securely. But then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. There's Jemima. 
just an everyday backyard picture <laughs> of Jemima. Light Oaks Park, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice Light Oaks Park. And Jemima is, how old is Jemima? Just turned two. That's you, Jemima, isn't it? Um, just turned two. And we dedicate and we pray and we pray blessing on and we wonder what will the world be like for her? Who will lead Jemima? Who will lead Jemima's generation? What sort of world does lie ahead for her? And what would we want? Well, Jemima can't do this, but in a few months, and we get the sense that it's all building up, we'll have a chance to say who we want to lead us. And as you know, amongst many other things, this has been sort of circling, and they're all seemingly sort of falling out with each other and wondering who's doing well and who's doing badly. But it could well be that this time next year, one of these four, you who are over the age of 18, will have the chance to say, we want you to lead us. <laughs> An inspiring bunch. <laughs> and this is the problem. The older you get, the more cynical you become. You become cynical about the promises because the older you get, the more aware you become of the deep challenges that we face. And the older you get, the more you become aware of the limitations of power. So the promises that are made to wooers sound hollow, not primarily because they're incompetent or corrupt, but the promises sound hollow because no one can do what they are promising. And that's why we wonder who are we and where are we and who will get us out of this situation. <coughs> and that's why in our country, so for many other reasons perhaps as well, but one of the reasons why I think so few people vote. That old slogan that used to be on the walls, doesn't matter who you vote for, the government always gets in. Because <laughs> who will, who is able to lead us? <coughs> who would we trust? Whose promises do we believe? Well, Micah, as I said, was writing at a time and speaking at a time when the world was dominated by military might and big business. And lots of people were going, that's what you can trust in. Military might and big business. Because that's the only thing that's certain. So who's got the biggest army? Who's got the biggest business? Whose economy is doing the greatest? And who's winning the war? And Micah speaks into that and says, actually, you can go that way if you wish. But that way will lead you away from the God who created you. Or you can go a different way, and you can hear the promise that God makes you, that he will send you a better leader. One who will be 
our peace. Now, those of you that have been around church for a while, as I started to read that, by the second verse, you're thinking, oh, we hear that. We hear that verse, you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You hear it pretty much every year, and you hear it in December, and you hear it at carol services. Because if you can, just turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, just a little flick through to Matthew chapter 2. When Matthew writes his gospel after the resurrection of Jesus, after the ascension, and he's writing the story of Jesus, he uses that verse to make sense of what happened when Jesus was born. Listen to this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the chief people's chief priests and teachers of law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. If you think that King Herod had any desire to go and worship a newborn king, you are naive. The reason it's said that King Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him was because if King Herod wasn't happy, no one was happy. King Herod killed his own children because he feared that they would threaten his power. So when this baby is born in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and at that time, the people who have studied scripture are going, well, actually, yes, he is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been longing for. He's the king. They pick up on Micah and go, the thing that they promised is now. Jesus. And the reason King Herod is so threatened and the reason that Herods have always been threatened by Jesus is because what do you do? So what Herod tries to do is kill all the babies under two. Let's make a really good attempt at getting rid of all, all, any child that might threaten my power. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, the smallest, the weakest, the most marginalized, out of you will come the Messiah. Out of you will come the one we long for, the one we want to lead. Today is uh, Pentecost, as has been mentioned. And if I can just quickly remind you about Pentecost, what was going on. It was a time when the disciples, it was, Jesus had died, he'd, he'd been with them for 40 days, he'd been appearing on and off to them, but they were really confused still. They didn't quite know how things were going to be for them. 
And on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast, the day of Pentecost, they came together and they were in one place, but they were kind of like locked. They were frightened. They were uncertain about anything that was going to happen to them. And suddenly, in the midst of them, came this sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And suddenly what's going on in Acts chapter 2 is you've got all these people who've come for the big festival in Jerusalem. The people from all over the empire, but with all their own dialects and languages. Suddenly be here people speaking praise of God in languages that they're own. Somehow, all these people who've come from all over are hearing the good news of God, the praise of God, and they get it. They really get it. This was no ordinary festival. This is no ordinary moment. And so Peter has to stand up and explain what's going on. Because for some people, they're going, oh, these people are just drunk. And he goes, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Clearly not been to Weatherspoons. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's far too early for people to be drunk. But let me explain what it is. And this is what he says. Listen. This Jesus... This Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. When Jesus was born, King Herod was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, because G he knew that Jesus and someone like Jesus would disrupt the status quo. And the reason Jesus was crucified, and I keep on saying this, Jesus was crucified not because he went around telling people, be nice to one another. You don't get rid of those people. Jesus was crucified because he said, actually, the way this world works has to change. And I'm here to declare a new kingdom. And I'm wanting to call to myself people who will live a counter-cultural kingdom. That's why he looked like a revolutionary. And so they pinned him to a cross because that's what you do with people who you want to control. That's what you do to people who say, our way works. Look, hmm. that's what happens to people who threaten the existing way of life. And Peter says, mm, this man was handed over to you, and God knew, and you put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses to the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured out what you now see and hear. 
Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What's going on in the day of Pentecost? It's not a blessing for a few people. It's not like a strange spiritual encounter. It's that actually on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and says, all of this is declaring that the leader they longed for, because they knew they were in a mess, the leader that was born in Jesus is now God and Saviour of the whole world. Things have changed. The new movement has begun. The only hope for the ends of the earth is Jesus. So let me just come back to us. So here we were 10 minutes ago or so, just trying to make you feel better, um, praying for Jemima. And that can be an ah oh, moment. That can be a oh, bless moment. It can be that if you think faith is simply a private thing that's for you and your family and makes you and your family a little more secure. Or it can be an introduction into a revolutionary movement that says we, we reject the way the world's going because we're going to stand for something different. So you godparents have all gone. It's just you. You are you alone remain. I don't want to worry you, Rosie, but when Matt, I was talking to Matt in the week about godparents, and he said, the reason I've, I, I, the, what I want from godparents, he said, he said, when I was young, I needed someone, somewhere to stay at one point, and my godparents put me up. <laughs> I don't want to worry you, <laughs> but when you, you know, get a place that's got spare bedrooms, because your mind might be turning up. <laughs> so what are you doing as godparents? What are you doing... As church, you're saying to people, when you made the promise, when Mary asked you, will you promise that you will, along with Matt and Esther, will you instruct and direct this child in the way of the Lord? It's not, will you make her come to Sunday school? Far more than that. It's not saying, will you teach her a few children's choruses? That she might look back with nostalgia. What you're saying is, will you teach her that the way the world works is not a the only way, and it's certainly not God's way. There's a better, better movement, and it's Jesus. So much bigger. He's the one we long for. He's the only hope for the world. The past is gone. The future's waiting. It's the here and now that matters most. The past has gone, the future's waiting, the here and now matters most. It's the only hope, Jesus is the only hope for Jemima's world. And we who are adults, 
we have the moment where we keep coming back to say, will you follow this Jesus? Or will you be seduced by the rest of the world? And on Pentecost Sunday, those of you, those of us who are weary and tired and empty, will we come and say to God, God, will you breathe again your life into us? That breath of God that blew on original creation. The life of God that breathes again on recreation. The life of God, so it's not just me and you trying to do our best, turning over new leaves, just doing the best we can, but it's actually this, God, if we're going to do this, if this is true, we need your life to breathe into us. Micah stood with the people and said, there has to be a better leader, and there will be. Matthew, when he writes his gospel, says that better leader has been born. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says that better leader is enthroned. So for me and you, 2014, still praying together, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on Pentecost and say, come and fill us again. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can, and the musicians will come back. And I'll pray. This is a moment where, in a sense, I would ask you just to close your eyes. It's, it's you and God but you and God together with the rest of his people. And it's a moment where you can say to him again, God, I commit myself to this better movement. We know, because we're old enough now, that salvation cannot be found in politics, nor in big business, nor in military might. Those are important, and I don't want to sort of just write them off but our salvation is not found there. It's only in Jesus. And he calls us to himself and promises that for everyone who turns to him, who puts their trust in him, in his death and resurrection, who allows that openness with God the Father again, that new life will flow. And for all of us, that the life of God might come and be breathed into us again. Holy Spirit, come and rest upon us, we pray. Lord, may dedications be more than just church inclusion. May Pentecost be more than just church calendar. Lord, come to those of us who are weary and tired and empty. Come and fill us again, we pray. To those who long for the vision of so much more, those of us who've glimpsed the future because of the Bible, Lord, may we live and work for it.
but we need your spirit to come and strengthen us. And we need that creativity that comes from your spirit, Lord. Come, we pray. May your spirit rest upon us.